3: Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson. It's Friday and we're going to rattle through the day's football news in a bite-sized 30-minute podcast. Don't forget our full weekend preview show. Looking at all the games ahead of the weekend will be available when you wake up on Saturday morning. So hit the subscribe button now and we'll send you that show to your podcasting app. As soon as it's ready, I've got Fergal Brennan to my left. Hello. Got Marley Anderson to my right. Hello. And today we are talking Manchester United, whose woes continue with a 0 0 draw in the Netherlands last night, meaning that Bury FC have won an away game more recently than Manchester United, and Bury FC aren't even a football club anymore. We're also going to see how Wolves and Arsenal fared in the Europa League last night, as both picked up fairly important and fairly decent wins. And there's a few notable omissions from Gareth Southgate's England squad for the next batch of Euro qualifiers. We'll be casting a rule over whether he's made the right calls there. Plus, as it's the weekend, we'll get some fantasy football advice in a little bit from our surprisingly reliable fantasy football expert, Kieran. That is on the way shortly. So, let's start where we have to start, and that is with... Manchester United. Ten games away from home without a win. The last victory away from home was that game against PSG that eventually got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the Manchester United job full-time. Since then, it's kind of gone to pot. Last night, it was a nil-nil draw on a plastic pitch away at AZ Alkman. And we got Webby from full-time Devils and Super. United fan, on the phone to have a chat with us about it. Hey, Webby. Well, James. So give us your overview last night. Before we go into the issues, how are you feeling about Manchester United as a club and that particular result last night at the moment?
2: As a club, James, you know, it's, it's, you don't have to have too much sense You all know, that. It's run from top to bottom from the owners to the people who made the decisions. But we're all never going to be like that, you know. Obviously, you've got to just bear with it. Obviously, after the Chelsea game, people were bouncing around. But if you look at Chelsea at the bar three times, you know, it could be a different story at half time, and people were getting very giddy. You know, we've lost a few influential players, you know, they've not been replaced. That's the manager's decision and the board. It's it's not very really great to watch at the moment. But like many others, I'll stick with it, Jim. You know, I've, seen, I've been looking to see doubles and trebles and amazing times at United, and one day, hopefully, they'll return back. But this present moment it's a very hard watch and last night you know looking at it away and away point away in Europe it's not a bad result whatever you play but you know come on we were not actually playing Real Madrid you know mm-hmm. and the, the team he put out obviously he was so impressed by the young kid Williams I thought he had a good game but players who, who who should be pushing to make that thing for the manager did absolutely nothing talking Matic Fred you know Rashford comes on and the free kick sums him up Jim and <laughs> You look at Lingard coming on with his gloves and thinking, Christ, is it December? You know, is it that cold out there? And I see you know, something there with no tops. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not great watching at the, at the moment, but
3: we'll stick with it, lads. I mean, that's it. There is a lot of talk, as there has been, about Ed Woodward and the board and the owners and all this kind of thing and the blame being positioned there. But is it actually time to start looking at Solskjaer as the manager and go, well, you've got to take some responsibility because... Even if the investment hasn't been made in the club, even if there are these injuries, you should be doing better against teams like this. I mean, you didn't have a shot on target during the entire game. You're intent from the Premier League. That isn't all to do with the upper echelons of the club. That is to do with the playing staff and the way that those playing staff are managed.
2: Yeah, no, you spot on, Jim, has said all along. I think the decision to appoint a new I manager should have been done at the end of the season when you could have looked at everything. Obviously, United jumped a gun. Obviously, it was a great victory over in Paris, in Paris, which no one gave us a chance, you know. And they made that decision. I put in the manager. No disrespect to Solskjaer. I loved him as a player. You know what I mean? He, he brought me one of the best nights of my life. But he's won a Norwegian Publi- pub league and uh, got Cardiff relegated, so he wasn't a man for me. But We've got to stick with them until the club make that point where they are going to change the manager, which I don't like, you know, Jim. If you look at our record, pre-Ferguson, we didn't have too many managers. We've had that many since. I think we've had more from the start of our history since we've had since Ferguson left on the other side. And it's not what you want, but unfortunately, I don't think Colin's a man, you know, and like you're saying, he's a great hero of mine and brought me the best night, one of the best nights of my life. But some straight decisions made by the club, obviously the worst Mm -hmm. one was you didn't have to be as a Rockets specialist to you know that Lukaku was leaving and not to get a replacement in a goal scorer. You know, it was criminal. You know, the one thing you need in this league is someone to put these stuffy goals away to score you those 20-odd goals a season. At the moment, we've got no-one there at the club, and it's. I feel sorry for the likes of Mason Greenwood, who... Gonna be brought under that pressure when he should have been coming in, say, the Roxdale game and not seen again, yeah. probably till the next round of the cup, but he's got to be involved in the squad every week because French Tony doesn't quite fancy it at the moment. I don't know what's the matter with him. I think he's had his leg cut off. <laughs> you know, he's not been seen for months. You say you're so, gonna
3: I, you say you're gonna stick with Solskjaer until the club make that decision, until they uh, make that choice to get rid of him and get someone else in. When do you reckon that's gonna be now?
2: It's an hard one, Jim. You know, if you look at our Next, I think, our next six fixtures, five the away from home. So, you know, with some tough games, you know, you've got, we've got Liverpool coming up at home, which obviously I don't like to say, but they are playing well. Uh, obviously, we've got Newcastle on Sunday. You know, we've we got Norwich away, which, you know, we've proved when they played City's going to be a very difficult game. But we just got to stick together, Jim. You know, it's... Mm. I'll never boo a manager, even if I didn't like him. I wasn't too impressed with the appointment of David Moyes, but I backed him till the day he went. You know, I'll know back anybody at that club, whether the ball boy, manager, making the teas, but it's not very good watching at the moment, mate. It's very hard, and if you look at the statistics this year, apart from the Chelsea home game, not playing like eight goals a game, you know, it's, it's very, very poor. But we'll, we'll stick with it, mate, and see what happens.
3: Webby, top man. Chin up, mate. (laughs) Nice one. Nice to speak to you. Cheers for that. It's Webby from Full Time Devils, the United fan channel and an uber United fan. Been through thick and thin and it's pretty thin at Old Trafford at the moment. What did you boys make of the game last night? And particularly Solskjaer's comments after it, I thought were really interesting because he blamed a penalty for not getting the win. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they should have been relying on that kind of call to get the win in the first place. But then he said he was pleased with the result. And he made the point that Webby kind of made that a point is good away
4: from home in Europe. That doesn't feel like how a United manager should be reacting to that result. No, not at all. I mean, I think I, I take Webby's point and, and Salchard's point that, you know, trotted out, good point away from home in Europe. But this isn't really a, a good point away home from Europe. This is Manchester United away at AZ Alkmaar, who are mm. not, they're not a, a superpower in European football. They're not even a, a, one of the leading names in Dutch football. They're a Europa League side for a reason. And Literally the,
0: the the fourth best yeah. And and
4: they just you know Solskjaer's comments are indicative of where United are for me now as a club in terms of his mentality of where they where they are, where they're going to finish, how they're going to operate. If, if these are the types of comments that he's coming out with and thinking they're acceptable mm. to give to United fans who are pulling their hair out with frustration about his kind of. Very, very, very lukewarm tactics. The team not really looking like they're they're particularly bothered about the fight for top four. It feels like
3: he should give the team a rocket now, doesn't it? It feels like some of that Jose
4: Mourinho throwing the team under the bus stuff that we criticised at the time did the job. Well that's that's the irony of the situation. Solskjaer has the look of a man now when he when he's in front of the media that he doesn't really know what he's doing. Mm. And, you know, as, as Webby said when, when we spoke to him a moment ago, that was always going to be the case. You you brought a manager in, you know, we can go through the whole thing if he wouldn't have got the job had he not played for United. We all know that's the case. But he was never going to be the person that would be able to scream and shout at the players and get them motivated and get them moving. There isn't there is just isn't that there and the big thing for me, and I've spoken to many, many United fans about this since Solskjaer came in on a on a permanent basis, we can take into uh, into account the owners and the lack of money and, and the spending and the players that have gone, etc. But nobody can come to me, maybe you guys can come to me with an answer of, all that side, what does Solskjaer do? What, are, what do Manchester United do under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? What is his way of playing? What is his thing? What is his thing where you go, oh, we've got United this weekend, and remember Solskjaer does... X. I think he, go, he goes into exist. the dressing room and goes
3: let's play like we did under Fergie and that's it that's all yeah. he says he yeah, goes let's way. play like we used to in the past let's play the Manchester United way but it seems it, like a club but it, he's got Ferguson up in the, up in the
4: stands he can, he can get him to pop down if that's going to be the case <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Marley you're a Newcastle fan mm-hmm. you've got Manchester United versus Newcastle this weekend it could yeah. break all records for being the worst ever game on Sky Sports <laughs> I think it could 200%. be a terrible affair but you must go into that game does even with Newcastle's terrible form with an element of confidence
0: no, okay. <laughs> in all fairness, absolutely fucking not because as That's the spirit as bad as, it, as bad as it is at Man United, the way we're playing at the minute, all we're going to do is be that team who ends that away run. You know, they haven't won since <laughs> since they played um, PSG in France. They're definitely going to beat us on Sunday even when we're you know, um we need a a reaction from the Leicester defeat it would be the most Newcastle thing ever if we just rolled over and give them that that first win since February or whenever it was. So I'm not exactly, you know, um, hopeful. You're never hopeful as a
3: Newcastle fan. It's the hope that kills you. <laughs> we'll be previewing that game fully in our preview show, which will be out first thing Saturday morning. When you wake up, you can get the latest podcast. You're having a coffee there and check out the preview of that game along with all the other Premier League previews as well. I've got to say, last night's result against Manchester United in the Europa League, did something a bit weird to me. It made me a little bit sad about the whole thing, about Manchester United's fall from grace. And I couldn't quite work out where it was from because previously I've been enjoying the kind of disintegration of a once-great footballing power. But I worked out what it was. It's like when someone remakes your favourite kids' cartoon from your childhood and it ends up being rubbish. So when I grew up, United were this... Undeniable force in football and now it's all fallen apart around and they've been knocked off their perch and it's kind of like when they remade Danger Mouse or remade Inspector Gadget <laughs> yeah. where they're like the old version of themselves yeah. but in name only so in that way it feels like a little part of my footballing childhood has disintegrated <laughs> and I think that's why I'm a little bit sad about the whole thing it's never as good as you remember it is it, no.
4: <laughs> and, it's, it. and it's so yeah. hard to let go of just like it is where it's like no you, they, they used to be come on
3: it's very weird. But if you want a laugh, go and check out the lineups from the beginning of the game yesterday, where Daniel James is lining up pre match with a mascot in front of him who is a little bit taller than him. It's like they've given Daniel James the biggest mascot, and he just looks tiny on the pitch. That's a little bit of light relief if you're a Manchester United fan. Let's move on to Arsenal, your team Fergal, because another big victory in Europe and another big victory orchestrated by the youth system, essentially.
4: Yeah, I, I'm absolutely delighted. Uh, I watched the United game as a little bit of a an appetiser before this last night, which turned out to be like kind of like eating a mouldy piece of bread. Um, and this was this was brilliant from Arsenal again. Um, watching Arsenal in the Europa League is a very strange experience because you almost feel like you're watching... Uh, well, obviously because there's young players playing, you feel like you're watching a different team, but it seems like a team removed from the, the absolute... Rib, clench, intention of watching Arsenal in Premier League action at the weekend. You, you feel like you can relax and actually enjoy watching your team again. Is that because, because of
3: the way they play, or just because it feels like less significant as a game?
4: It, yeah, less important. It is. Almost. It is. It does feel like it's less significant. And you know, I, I pay all due respect to, to the Europa League, and, and I was massively, massively disappointed to lose the final last year because you know I am, I am of the school of a trophy is a trophy, and, and it would have been a route into Champions League football for this season. But when you see these players playing the way that they do and then you compare that to what potentially we're going to see this weekend against Bournemouth, it, it irritates me because it shows these players, I'm not saying, you know, raft six or seven young players into the starting eleven for a difficult game game away at Bournemouth or, mm. or um, playing Liverpool at the start of the season or, or any of these matches, but these players are, are demonstrating their ability, Martinelli is probably the, the name that jumps out. at everybody scored against Frankfurt last uh, two weeks ago, sorry, and scored two last night against Standard Liège. So
3: described as the next Ronaldo. I don't know which Ronaldo they're talking about. Whether they're talking about Cristiano <laughs> or the real Ronaldo, but
4: we have to wait and see. It could just be Ronaldo. It, it could be anyone <laughs> at this stage, and, and, and I hate I hate those types of things because you never know what it what it can be. What I really like about him is uh, consistency of exactly the same type of goal where he gets it. He kind of crunches low into the ground, runs and then just bends it into the top corner. If he can just continue doing that for the next 15 years, that would be fantastic. Um, but whether Emery brings these players into, into Premier League action remains to be seen. Yes, he played Bukhari Sako against United, but he is still very, very unwilling. Like It's been a prize in a way from his original plan to bring these players in. Willock and uh, Rhys Nelson started quite a few games at the start of the season. That's not been the case in recent weeks. So you get the sense that Emery's hand is being forced by... Pressure to play these young players, but when the weekend rolls around, he kind of rubs his hands together and goes, Right, back to what I want to do. But which these is players playing Granite
3: Shaka, they're adding strength and depth yeah. to positions where Arsenal has strength and depth already, aren't they? Exactly. So it's yeah. Very difficult to make a call to go, Right, we're going to drop a Bamiang, for yeah. example, for, for Martin, or, or Yeah, yeah exactly. or Martin, it's a hard like decision that. to make. If when... The, if
4: this was a young centre back, if this was a young 18, 19 centre back, 19 year old centre back that was showing really good defensive qualities, able to bring the ball out, a bit of a leader, uh, almost a bit of a Tony Adams throwback mm. to, to to going that far back for Arsenal fans. I'd be delighted. But as you say, it's it's filling areas where we've already got strength. And then, as I say, when the weekend rolls around, we've all got to close our eyes and grit our teeth and and hope that David Lees doesn't knock in an own goal. I'm going to stop you there,
3: because last time we talked about Arsenal winning in the Europa League with the kids, we got criticised for moving on to Arsenal's defensive frailties. So we're not going to talk about that at all, but we are going to talk about Mesut Ozil. (laughs) Because, Marley, we were talking about this on the podcast yesterday about what the issue was with Mesut Ozil, whether it was an injury, whether it was something psychological. Really interesting statement from Emery after the game. I'll read you the quote... On Mesut Özil, he says, when I decided he shouldn't be in the squad, it's because I think other players deserved it more. He needs to continue working, which is a message clearly: pull your socks up, try a bit harder if you want to play in this Arsenal team.
0: Yeah, isn't it? suggests his uh, his time is is numbered at Arsenal. Mm. Going by, you know, if a manager says that, you know, if if it if he did have a future, he might be saying something like. You know, he just he just wasn't fit enough to be in the squad. He'd be making excuses for him, which he has been doing previously. And then now he's just like it seems to be like the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. And he's just went nah, right? I'm just going to be truthful and tell people I don't think he's good enough. I mean, we go back to on yesterday's podcast. We said about the systems Arsenal doesn't perhaps he, he requires a lot of accommodating in a in a certain formation, and maybe that's where the the club and the player don't really line up uh it's, they're not sort of in uh, conjunction that way but you know maybe he's made the decision now you know i think he's on what, 250 300 grand a week so he's on mm. a hell of a lot of money so maybe arsenal are looking at it like right what are we actually getting from um, from him and it's not enough and we've got all these young kids that are doing doing well martinelli was excellent last night um you know you got willock you got nelson saka all these players coming through so do you think he move need in him? january Hasn't he, wait, hasn't he got six months left on his contract? Or? Yeah, his contract's up
4: in the summer. Yeah, probably. Right. Yep. So
3: will he leave in January or will he hang on till yeah. the summer? I mean, wh- who's going to pay any kind of transfer yeah. fee for a player China. in January who can get January pay it. Yeah. someone If you're Arsenal, you'd just get him off the books, wouldn't you? You'd accept a free transfer. Six
4: months left, as you say, £350,000 a week. Is he worth hanging on to? Um, no, I don't think he is. And I agree with Marley that when you look at the Chinese Super League, they're the only likely routes out for him in terms of a club that will pay his salary and potentially maybe even better his current salary. I think if
0: if he doesn't go to China he, he may have got like Turkey or something. You but know, he, on the, on a but on a on a free mm. at the end of the season I think the only way to get rid of him for yep. a, for a fee is to to try and persuade a Chinese team to come and get him.
3: The other team involved in Europa League action last night was Wolverhampton Wanderers of course. We said Besiktas was a difficult place <laughs> to go and they've been there and they've
0: won yep. got a 1-0 victory left it till the very end of the game. Yeah. I uh, I Claim full responsibility for that because I said Besiktas <laughs> is going to win on yesterday's podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a massive win. that have won the last three now and all of a sudden Wolves seem to have turned the corner. They've won hmm. three out of three in all competitions and they got their first Premier League win last weekend and then they've gone away to Besiktas and won. So I'm beating them four as well. Yeah. I mean, I hope they turn it round because I was thinking last night and I heard something earlier, earlier, I think it was last week before they beat Watford, that... Uh, Nuno Santo was under pressure. It's like how the how is he under pressure? He got you from the championship to the bloody Europa mm. League in the space of a couple of years, and then people were like, "Oh, he's under pressure." Is he that, seems so important. That would have been the that most that ridiculous well. thing
3: ever. Yeah, It seems to have
0: built it yeah. from the ground up pretty yeah. much, and had this little Portuguese revolution yeah, in the they, Midlands. They've gone in and with a, a sort of strange strategy of using, I think it's George Mendes, his, um clients from around the world getting all the best portuguese players got getting a portuguese manager and then talking about sacking him and i was like jesus christ i hope they turn this around because that would be ridiculous mm. if he if someone like him went before all the other managers that are genuinely under pressure because they're not good enough that would have been ridiculous so i'm glad they've they've went away and got got a couple of wins under the belt now so hopefully they'll turn it around and uh we know they're a good side that's the thing like everyone was like oh wolves was are towards the bottom of the league, but if you look at it, their their squad, even though they are playing on two fronts, it's way better than anyone else that's down there. And we talk about how the Europa
3: League has added extra pressure to that squad. That, mm. oh, I can't remember, I think it was you yesterday, they have played something like 15 games already, yeah, already this season. I think last night was the 10th in, yep. in the Europa League alone. 10th in the Europa League alone. But still, they have added a little bit of depth to that squad. They have added a l- few other options in different positions. And you you think this could be that they needed that slight lift, that kind of corner to be turned
4: to to regain their form across all fronts. I I agree. I think when you look at the record, as you say, won the last three and beaten the last four, I think this is even more important than arguably the, the Watford result because they needed this. Because I think they've had a little bit of an identity crisis in Europe of are we able to do it? Can we do it? We need it. You know, this is this is a huge result. You know, we're talking about. Wolves, who haven't been in European competition, I think, since the 60s, going away to Besiktas, who were normally a Champions League side and winning in a notoriously hostile environment. It's, it's an absolutely massive result for them. Um, and I take the point about strengthening and bringing players into to kind of beef up in positions. But it's something I mentioned before. I think one thing that they've found hard is because they play a very specific system, because they play a 3-5-2 and, and players have to play quite specialised roles, it's taken that bit of time mm-hmm. for players that come in to realise that they're going to be playing in a position that was different to their previous club. But I, I really like Santo. I, I like Wolves. I really like the way they play. And, and I do genuinely hope, as you say, this is a bit of a corner turn because they deserve to be higher up the table based on the players they've got and based on the way they try and go about things
3: First win in European competition for 39 years Well there you go That was major European competition anyway and the last thing they want is to play Manchester City at the weekend that's exactly <laughs> what is happening Right we're going to be back in a minute on Football Social Daily we're going to talk about Gareth Southgate's England selections and we're going to take a look at your fantasy football teams ahead of the weekend we'll do that in a minute Football Social Daily Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode
1: Football Social Daily, Premier League updates.
3: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's talk England, because yesterday, Gareth Southgate announced his England squad for the next batch of Euro 2020 qualifier. Are we saying 2020 or are we saying 2020? 2020. I've not quite got a grip on this yet. 20, Euro 2020 qualifiers, there we go. Away to the Czech Republic and Bulgaria, those games will be. Dele Alli and Jesse Lingard were the two notable absentees. Any surprises for either of them missing out? The youthful Jesse Lingard, England's future in midfield. <laughs> <Peter Pan. laughs> yeah.
0: I think it's a surprise that Lingard's been left out, purely because we've always well, he's been... injured now as well. Yeah. <laughs> so he, wasn't, he wasn't injured before the yeah. squad was
3: announced. He is now.
0: It's a surprise that he's left out because we've all just got used to every England squad coming out and then all going, what the fuck is Jesse Lingard still mm. doing there? Because yeah. he offers literally nothing to any team he's in. Like, he had another... Average game last night. He missed a. He went close with a chance in the uh, in the second half, but and then he pulled his hamstring. So it's a blessing in disguise. It's something for him to say. Oh well, I couldn't have been in this squad, and he would he probably would have pulled out anyway, because everyone does, don't they? The ones, the ones who just can't be asked playing because they know they're not going to get a game, they'll all pull out after the weekend's games. <coughs> oh, I quite like it. I like the fact that Southgate
3: has got rid of Lingard mm-hmm. he's got rid of Delhi Ali because for years we've said that England players are getting in on reputation ahead of form mm-hmm. and here we've got two players who are terribly out of form who you would as you say would expect to see in that England squad mm-hmm. but they're not getting a game and I think that's a real positive thing for Southgate it's a real
4: statement of intent as to how that England team will be picked going forward. I agree. And, and Southgate's consistently demonstrated in, in his squad selection and, in, and his starting team selection that he isn't going to operate like England managers of the past have done, as as you say, of playing players because of who mm. they are or who they play for. And And I would agree with, with regards to, to what Marley said about Lingard, that we all just expect, we, we almost don't even look, when an England squad gets announced, it's like, you know, 23 players plus Jesse Lingard, etc. But <laughs> um, the bigger concern for if for, for England fans who are listening to this podcast is Delhi Alley because The thing with Lingard is I don't think Lingard is ever going to be the player that some Manchester United fans think he is Mm. or can be. Whereas Ali has shown on a much more consistent level for Spurs and for England that he is a good few other um, rungs up the ladder from Lingard. Um, It's a very strange situation with Ali. He's had his injury problems at the start of the season but... So much about him, and you know, you you try to take stories that you hear from the club with a with a pinch of salt. But he does look a, a shadow of himself. His body language when he's on the pitch, he looks he looks way more coy. When that's definitely not something you'd accuse something Dele You Ali of being about
0: so many Spurs players at the moment, doesn't it?
3: But it he, seems he, and he seems to be right at the heart club. of
4: that. Yeah,
0: he really does. Yeah, I think Ali, like on top form, is still a, a quality player. Like yeah. uh like Fergal said, but he's just not. He's just not in the best place at the minute, so it Mm. makes sense for him not to be in the squad, especially when you've got players like James Madison just pulling up roots at Leicester and playing out of his skin. Mm. I don't think there's any England fan listening to this podcast or around the world who would genuinely say that James Madison doesn't deserve Mm. uh, a place in that sort of first 15, either the first 11 or the first four subs that you go to. I was going to say, actually, one of my questions was... was, he's
3: not got on the pitch. ...was from this selection of England... Players that Southgate has picked. Who would you like to see given a chance? Who would you like to see getting a starting berth? For you, would that be James Madison? Yeah, and if, if so, where does he play in this England setup? Because that's what
0: confuses me on on the, on the formation. Let's say, let's assume we're playing four three three. You got mm. your back four, whoever's in that defensive midfielders probably <coughs> probably Declan Rice. The way things are going at the minute, and then you have your two centre midfielders. One of them for me is Madison. The other one's probably Henderson. And then you've got the front three, of Sancho, Sterling and Kane. But we said and they'll they, tear they, anyone apart. Does Madison have the legs to play in that central midfield role? Because he seems to play more of well, a number 10
3: for Leicester.
0: But this, this year, he's been Leicester have changed their system, so they're playing uh, 4-3-3, mm. similar to to what England are playing. So even though I do think he's better as a number 10, he's been playing for eight games now as a, as a centre midfielder in a three. So he has to have the legs. And I think someone like Brendan Rodgers wouldn't have changed that system if they didn't think Madison could play there mm. and he started um, started producing he scored that great goal uh, the other week against <laughs> uh, who was it when he slammed it in Tottenham from, yeah Tottenham Tottenham we got the he's, winner yeah he smacked in the bottom corner and that he got it from a sort of deeper position and linked up with his other midfielders yeah, Telemans I think set him up or Chowdhury um, and he's just he's growing into that role now so that can only be good for England because you know he can play number 10 because he has done for his mm-hmm. whole career Now he's awkward. He can be an eight as well.
3: The other absentee that's notable would probably be Carl Walker, who was left out of the last squad as well. And we kind of all assumed last time he was left out that it was to give him a bit of a rest. He played a lot of football. Southgate was being considerate Mm -hmm. to his club commitments. Now it's weird. (laughs) It's weird that he's been left out for a second
4: lot of games. Does Southgate just think there's better options than Carl Walker? I think he does. I think when you look at the World Cup, he was happy to utilise him on the right of a back three because he was the most competent at playing as almost an auxiliary mm. centre-back. Whereas now, Southgate has returned to a, a back four, which is a more traditional role for, for a right-back to play in. And, and he does, for, for my mind, he does value Trent Alexander-Arnold and Kieran Trippier, particularly Trippier. Trippier's it's a strange one because he rotates between the three of them, but Trippier appears to be the one that's at the forefront of his mind in terms of the last couple of qualifiers. Trippier has started, so in terms of Walker, it is a very strange one. I I would just say for for experience to have him involved <clears throat> to have him involved with the squad would be a good idea. But I agree with you, Jim. It's it's strange that he's being left out. It's strange that at the critical part of qualification, this is the penultimate round of games for England, that he's being left out, and mm. and it says to me that maybe Southgate has made his mind up on him, that he is looking to, towards the future a bit more. Why bring Kyle Walker in if he's going to be third-choice right-back? Do you need three right-backs mm. to play play two qualifying games? So it's a very interesting one, but it, it, it does smack to me that Southgate has, has made a bit of a decision. Yeah, I think um, I
0: was reading on <clears throat> social media yesterday that Kyle Walker thinks his career, his England career is done now. He believes that that's it because of how he's, you know, he's been left out. And England have got four sort of right backs. They've got Trent, Walker, Trippier and Wan-Bissaka. And Wan-Bissaka's obviously ill, uh, yeah. so he's not in the squad. And then you think those, you know, particularly Trent and Wan-Bissaka are, are the young ones. Trippier's the They more, feel like the
3: future, don't they? Yeah. They yeah. feel like who's they're going to have that role for the
0: next five, ten years. Yeah, yeah. I think the most solid full backs out of those four are Walker and Trippier still. Yeah. However, because they've got both sides to the game, but for example, if you're going to pick a squad, wan is the best defensive right back you've got, and Trent's the the best attacking right back you've got. Mm. So depending on who you're playing, mm. you 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 pick your, your system like that. So if you're playing France and they've got you know Griezmann playing on the left, you probably play wan to to try and contain him. We don't play Trent because he's a bit suspect defensively, but you can't pick four right backs in a squad because mm-hmm. that's wasting positions. So. Um, as well with Walker he can't he, he has played centre back before but he didn't convince in the World Cup he wasn't great there you're not going to pick him ahead of an actual centre back exactly you? And, and England don't play with a back three anymore so that position isn't even there yeah. for him to to be in the Southgate's conscience of oh if I go to a back three because he, he hasn't gone, been to a back three since the World Cup so that, that all those combinations have just left Walker out in the cold and it's unfortunate because he's still a quality player but He just seems to be looking to the future now. The final point in selection will be Tammy Abrahams, who does get a call into the
3: England team, yet to make his full debut. He said earlier in the week that he hasn't decided who he wants to play for, whether he wants to play for Nigeria or England. And Southgate said of this particular selection, he said, ethically, it's not right to give someone a cap just so they can't play for someone else. Essentially, he doesn't think England should bagsy Tammy Abrahams before he makes a decision, (laughs) yet
4: he's called him up into the squad, which means... He has to start, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah. By that logic, yeah. I don't think he he will. Uh, I think this will be a conversation between Southgate and Abraham over the next couple of days. I wouldn't be surprised uh, the day before or two days before the, the the first qualifier, a statement is made by either Southgate or, or Abraham about um, how he's how he's going to do this. Um, but I, I do think it's it's an interesting situation that if twenty four hours before kickoff, Abraham says to Southgate, "Look, I still haven't decided." I don't think he can play him at all. He's, mm-hmm. he's not going to be in the right mind for him to play. You can't bring him on for ten minutes at the end, of exactly, this scenario, because can can you? As you unless say, he's made that call, ethically it's wrong in in that sense. But also from from a uh, a game prepared sense and from a from a psychological point of view, if Tammy Abraham is still not convinced himself, then he shouldn't be he shouldn't be playing. And, and Southgate, as you say, ethically can't and probably won't play him. I'd love to see him get a start. I think,
3: these, I think he deserves it. I think these qualifying games are against, <clears throat> in general, with due respect to the opposition, Czech Republic and Bulgaria, are teams that England should be beating. And I think with Abrahams in the form he's in, eight goals I think he's got this season mm. in the Premier League, you'd give him a go. You'd give him a chance and see what he can do against international opposition.
0: Yeah. Um, I just. I... The thing is, you've got Harry Kane to contend with and he's going to start every game. So if you are playing one, a three up front, you've got your two wingers and you've got one centre forward. Mm. And that's, I think, Kane's, you know, Kane and Henderson, the two England captains, they're the kind of guys you've got to shift. And Kane is, if he's fit, he starts. But definitely give him 20 minutes, half an hour. Like, chances are, but like Bulgaria aren't a great team, chances are you're going to be 3-0 up by 60 minutes, hopefully. There you go, the game's over, take him off, give Tammy a chance and... um you know, put him on and stop him having this weird thing with, with Nigeria. He was born mm. in England. In, you know, he's. Well, well, I don't know what it is. I think he's got... Is it grandparents or is it mum and dad that's... Uh, I think it's grandparents. Grandparents. Yeah. Sorry, mate, that's not even a thing. Well, that's how, I don't, that's I, how Declan Rice is an yeah, England player, isn't it? I, I'm <laughs> sitting here biting some over Declan Rice, Rice but yeah I, yeah. I just don't think that's oh, the Rice. thing. Like, if you're, if you're born in England, uh, English parents... I don't see why you can think, I might play for Nigeria. Come on.
3: It's a little bit about Come confidence on. and your ability, I suppose. Isn't exactly. It, I think Wolf Zahar went through the, mm. a similar thing and has ended up playing for the Ivory Coast. Yeah. Where realistically, he could be, He'd be an England, England, England player. Would. Yeah, mm. of course he would. Let's talk fantasy football because we've got our resident... And as I said, surprisingly accurate expert. Why with surprisingly? I just, I'm, imp- I'm genuinely impressed that you get it so right so often. So Kieran Howley's here to give us some tips.
1: Anyone we should bring in? Anyone we should be cautious of? Well, my main tip for this weekend is don't do anything. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a short Done. segment this week. I wish my wife said that at the weekend. <laughs> uh, well, we're about to enter an international break. So I always say you should be saving your transfer going into an international break. You should only really be using it to uh, to look after crippling injuries, or your your eleven premium strikers out for a few weeks and is going to be beyond the international break as well. Um, so I think that's the smart decision. Also, if you've got a wild card, wild cards are a great thing to play an in international break, particularly at start because you can bring in anyone you're expecting to rise over the international break, even if you're not planning on keeping them at the end and then bank the money from their rises across. Wow, So
3: playing the markets yeah. of fantasy football. Mm. So <laughs> if
1: you've got someone who hasn't risen already, because understand that if you take someone out and then bring back in, um, say, De Bruyne at the moment is worth 10. If you got him in at 9.5, mm. then you'd be selling him. You'd only get 9.7 back, but you have to buy him back at 10. So you're going to lose money on that. So you're looking at people who haven't risen already, bringing someone like Son... Um, who is 9.7 at the moment, but if he gets at least a goal at the weekend, he's going to be a big bandwagon jump, I think, across the international break, particularly with De Bruyne out. So um, you're looking, I think, if you haven't played your wild card yet, this is your primary chance in remembering that you get another one in January. So you want to use it about this point to sharpen up your squad and get the extra cash.
0: Before or after the international
1: break? You want to use it uh, as soon as the game week starts. If you are planning on using your wildcard, um. so game week starts uh, obviously Saturday mm-hmm. uh, and it ends uh, when the next one well, hour before the next plate. So you've got two weeks to use that. Uh, oh, to okay. make as many changes as you like across that period, and uh, say you bring in son yeah nine point seven he goes up to nine point nine you shift him out, then you've banked zero point one, you can just move back to the guy in the same time well. already yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: that's genius <laughs> yep. that's absolute genius so my team is absolutely decimated by injury at the moment, the likes of k d b the likes of Wamba Saka, i 've got in there as well, Fabianski adding goal, mm-hmm. so it 's a bit of a treatment room full of treatment room personnel at the moment so do i make those changes now or shall i wait till after the international break and see what happens and see if they regain fitness in the two weeks we've got
1: well particularly yeah i mean you could have a you could completely change your team today to have a great team tomorrow and then across the international break half your team gets crippled mm. so i would say save it use it across the international break um and then then you'll get the best return from it i did also look at you know if, if you do want to make that jump particularly if you haven't got your wild card yet and you want to get in uh, so, some key players. I think are going to be good against the week. But also, I looked at making them cheap so they can enable the rest of your squad. Uh, two defenders jumped out for me at four point six price point. Um, we'll see if you can guess who they are.
0: Oh, I was going to. Th- I've um, I've spotted a guy. I think he's that price. Is it Soyuncu from Leicester? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one go. of them.
1: Yeah, because he was going in my team this week.
4: Yes. Uh, who well, Fabian Shah?
1: Uh no, but good. <laughs> <put> <laughs> he's don't a good shout for shots on target, but uh I don't think you're getting a lot of clean sheets out of that Newcastle
4: team. Not very diplomatic. Um God, put know, us out of our, our misery. Think.
1: Go on, go on. So the second one I got is uh Tamari at um, Chelsea, who Lampard uh, yeah. has now said is his first choice centre back. And he's four point six. He's four point six. And uh, Chelsea are third. third least number of shots on target um, so far in the season and their next fixture list um, is Southampton, Newcastle, Burnley, Watford, Palace. So I think you're going to get a lot of options Uh, at a very cheap price point. Everyone else in the Chelsea back line is 5.5 in terms of starters. So easy way to jump into that. Clean sheets, as you quite rightly said, uh, Soyinku, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Leicester, another 4.6. But Leicester actually have the best defence in the league at the moment for um, conceding shots on target. They have the least amount of shots inside the box of any team in the Premiership so far. So for 4.6, Tricky game this week at Liverpool. Um, but mm. beyond that, you've got Burnley, Southampton and Palace for your next three. So Thank I you. think very solid choices. At Top tips.
3: I'm off to wow. ride the transfer <laughs> market like a footballing Donald Trump or something along those lines. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. If you want to get some questions in for Kieran in future weeks, you can do so via our Twitter account at the sports social. He will answer your fantasy football-based questions on the Friday podcast. If you've got a burning question about fantasy football, Kieran Jermann, you can get him on the next Friday podcast. That is it for Football Social Daily for now. Thank you very much, boys. Thank you. 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 Don't forget to hit subscribe so you get tomorrow's show, which is our Saturday preview looking ahead to all the weekend's action. If you subscribe now, you'll get that as soon as the show's ready and we'll see you next time.
1: Sports Social.
3: I love my club. Every match, the manager. Every player who's pulled on this shirt.
2: Don't just talk to me about football. Talk to me about my one and only.
3: I love my club, but I don't love them up the road. Listen to daily smart speaker updates for your Premier League team and your team only with Sports Social. Get closer to the club you love. Ignore the ones you don't. Just say, Alexa, enable Sports Social and choose your team.